0: Our scripture reading this morning is Daniel chapter 7, verses 13 and 14. I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven there came like one of the Son of Man, and he came to the Ancient of Days, and he was was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom, that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. This is God's word. In case you didn't know it, we live in a broken world. We had evidence of that this week in that uh, many of you got emails from me that were not from me, and they were working a scam, and that's the world that we are in. I am going to explain to you this morning two profound verses. Um, I'm, I'm not even sure if I can help, if I can make it connect for you, but I'm going to ask the Lord to help us do that. But for you to understand the passage that was just read, I'm going to need to give you some context. I'm actually going to have to go back to the very beginning of human history, and I'm also going to have to go into events that are still future for us in order to understand what was just read you cannot understand Daniel chapter 7 verses 13 and 14 without seeing how it's really a pivot in a much bigger drama so buckle up here we go let's pray father I'm asking for you to do something miraculous and that is to give us a glimpse of the fulfillment of what we have read and to walk away changed. We're desperate for you to do that because we are living in a broken world that is not trending positive, and we want to represent you well, no matter what. In Jesus' name, amen. Frederick Bertoldi was an architect, and he was inspired by a project that was being constructed by a friend of his, Ferdinand de Lesseps. Uh, Ferdinand was really viewed as the kind of the master creator-designer of the Suez Canal. And Frederick actually thought, you know, it would be so fabulous if we were to have a lighthouse at the north entrance to the Suez Canal. Uh, he would pattern it after the Roman goddess Libertas it would be modified to resemble an Egyptian peasant with a light beaming out from both a torch that's thrust dramatically into the skies as well as from a headband. He presented his plans to the Egyptian Khediv and did that in uh, 1867. It was turned down. He redesigned based on their input and it was turned down again in 1867. So, his glorious plans were never commissioned. Have you ever had a dream for something that, despite considerable effort, was not realized? You poured a whole bunch of energy into something, and then, for whatever reason, you're throwing a curveball, you hit a brick wall. Perhaps a vision that was seemingly pushed beyond reach through the failings of others? God understands. I wanna show you God's grand plan. This comes from Genesis chapter one, verses 28 and 31. This is a passage that I call the Genesis mandate. This is what God told Adam and Eve, this is your mission. This is why I've put you here. This is what you're supposed to do. And there are five imperatives here. There are five commands that they were given. So our great, 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 however many great uh, grandfather and grandmother, this is what they were told to do by God. And God blessed them. And God said to them, command one, be fruitful and multiply, second imperative, and fill the earth and subdue it. And rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God saw all that he had made and behold it was very good. So there are five commands that were given to us, the human race, and at this point to Adam and Eve. I want you to be fruitful, multiply, fill. I want you to subdue and rule. Now what is the meaning of those commands? Well, there's... The first three are one set. And basically what God is saying is, I want you to fully populate the planet. I want you to fill it with the people. And then the the last two commands, rule and subdue, is basically saying, I want you to exercise authority over this planet. Now, ruling as God intends Denotes sovereignty over creation. To be the sovereign, the steward over God's creation. uh, To be a steward of God's creation in the fear of God. The word subdue, very interesting. Almost every other place where this word is used in the Old Testament, it is consistently used of the successful conquest of opposition. In other words, I want you to deal with a hostile force. Now, for example, I'll just give you a passage, but there's many that we can look at. This is from Joshua 18.1. It says, the land was subdued before them. Well, it's really talking about the, the elimination of opposition. So when Adam and Eve were told, fill the planet... Rule the planet for God and then subdue it. The term actually anticipates the presence of a hostile force and it calls for successful opposition to that force. Now, well, what opposition? I read the passage, everything was good it's reasonable now I'm making an assumption here so please understand this is an assumption it but it is a reasonable one to assume the pre-existence of evil because very early in Adam and Eve's experience in the garden they encounter someone who is really representing Satan who is an advocate for rebellion against God so if Adam and Eve are told to subdue The creation was very good, indicating that evil was not currently active on this planet. But Adam and Eve were instructed, keep it that way. Make sure that this is a planet that is filled with a people who are capable of ruling a planet for God. That's your mission. Instead of... (laughs) Ruling the animals, they allowed one creature, a snake at that, to influence them. And they did not subdue evil. They opened the door for sin to corrupt them and all of God's creation. By their sin, they opened the door to death, which extinguishes life. So if you're going to try and fill a planet, now death is going to be there. And they've allowed the entrance of Satan to operate. Uh, Romans 5.12 says this, which is a summary of what happened in this moment. Therefore, just as through one man sin entered into the world, and death through sin, so death spreads to all men because all sinned. When Adam and Eve sinned, they actually opened the door to death. Adam and all his progeny become, which is us, are subject to sin and to death. Furthermore, Romans 8.20 says, for the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly. There is the world, the created order, was subjected to forces that are leading toward chaos because of what Adam and Eve did. Basically, they discarded their destiny. Adam failed to rule the planet for God and instead subjected it to futility. So here's the question. God had a great plan. Does Adam's complete failure mean God's good plan is a bust? Bertoldi's lighthouse was never built at the north entrance to the Suez Canal, but it was eventually built. Here's a picture of it. It was dedicated in the New York Harbor on October 28, 1886. God's got a plan too. Despite Adam's failure, this is not going to jeopardize what God has planned. He is going to accomplish what the Genesis mandate called for but it is going to require some extreme measures. God actually announced his plan in the garden, chapter three of Genesis, after the fall of man. He actually, on the day that Adam and Eve sinned and then God confronted them, here were God's words to Satan. Satan was the one who basically empowered this snake to call the shots, to say, here's what you ought to do. This is a much better plan God's holding out on you, and they believed him and did it. Here's what God said to Satan. Listen to this. This is Genesis 3.15. And I will put enmity between you and the woman. He's talking to Satan. Satan just thinks, I've got Eve in my pocket. And what he says is, oh, no. There is going to be adversity. She is your adversary. I'm going to put enmity between you and the woman... And between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise you on the head, and you shall bruise him on the heel. Now, what's that talking about? God is saying, Satan, you have just started a war. This war will pit you against a singular seed. Notice that the seed is called he, so it's a person. And two key events will define this war. There is going to be a heel crush, and there is going to be a head crush. Now, the word, you know, crush is basically just what it sounds like. There is going to be a crushing of a heel. That's not a fatal injury, although it is a serious injury. And there is going to be a crushing of a head. That's a fatal injury. So what God is saying here at the very beginning of our history, he's saying, Satan, you have started a war and you are going to lose that war. I commanded Adam and Eve to make this a planet that is filled with the people who are prepared to rule it for God and my plan is still on track. Your plan will not work. Someone from her progeny A human will deal the decisive blow. Yep, a human is going to defeat you. Basic summary of what you can extract from this passage is that the allegiance war has come to our planet. That's what happened in the Garden of Eden. But God still has a plan. A particular seed of woman is key. Satan is going to wound him. But he will deliver a death blow to Satan. So that's what we know at the beginning of our history, okay? And that's essential information for us to understand if you are going to unpack what is going on in Daniel 7, 13 and 14. God's plan is going to address the issue perfectly. The penalty is going to be paid. The full weight of the penalty of sin was poured out on her seed. That's Jesus. When Satan crushed his heel, Satan thought, I am going to take it to him, when in fact he only ensured that his most potent weapon, which is death, would be taken from him. Uh, We're told, this is from Hebrews that Jesus, when he died on the cross, he rendered inoperative him who had the power of death, that is Satan. In other words, he took away his top weapon when Satan thought, I'm going to get the better of God by crushing the heel, by crucifying Jesus. And Satan is the one who put it in Judas's heart to do precisely that. Furthermore, our destiny is going to be restored. Her seed will rule the rebellious planet and restore it to its rightful owner he will bruise and crush the head of Satan so if you understand that now you're ready to unpack Daniel 7 verses 13 and 14 which says I kept looking in the night visions and behold with the clouds of heaven one like a son of man which that phrase son of man can also be translated son of Adam although it's in we're still in the Aramaic section of Daniel we're not going back to Hebrew till chapter 8 one like a son of man was coming and he came up to the ancient of days and was presented before him and to him was given dominion glory and a kingdom that all the people's nations and men of every language might serve him his dominion is an everlasting dominion which will not pass away and his kingdom is one which will not be destroyed so let's get our bearings a little bit i'm reviewing from a couple weeks ago let's compare and contrast this son of man with the four beasts which precede him the previous four creatures are four kings who will arise from the earth that's a quote from chapter 7 these four beasts they're strange beasts they have odd characteristics but they are actually telling us about four kings according to Daniel 7 this coming one in Daniel 7 13 is one like a son of man in other words he's very much a human being with zero percent beast however like hints that there is more to him he is 100 percent human 0% 0% beast, and he's something more. The previous four creatures came from the earth, and they came from a, a sea in tumult. The Son of Man is depicted as being given his kingdom in heaven. In other words, these beasts were earth-produced. He's a resident of heaven. Notice that he is not asserting himself, but he is presented to the Ancient of Days, which is a reference to God. This one who is the Son of Man is actually presented to Father. Here he is. This is a scene in heaven. The the phrase clouds are often mentioned in reference to heaven or things that are coming from heaven. Now, this is the shocker. I'm not sure that we're shocked in the way that Daniel's, I'm sorry for whatever happened there, I'm not sure what was going on in Daniel's mind. But he's seeing a heavenly scene, and he's seeing someone who is fully human. What is, does that not seem a little out of place? How is that possible? Yeah, someone is fully at home in the presence of God. Kind of reminds me of Eden. He is here for a coronation. He has come to be declared as the king who answers to the promise that was made in Genesis 3 when man fell. It says that dominion was given to him. Uh, Dominion was given to Nebuchadnezzar in chapter 4, verses 1, 2, and 3. Remember when I showed you the timetable? Darius will not come into power for 17 years from this point in the narrative. But Darius is going to, and the word is going to be used, is going to receive dominion. And both of them received dominion that involves all peoples, nations, and language. But there is one key difference. Dominion is given to the Son of Man, but he never loses it. The dominion of the beasts was temporary. This one will rule for all time. It will never stop. Now, here to me is one of the things that is... I mean, I, I look at it and I, I it takes my breath away. The Son of Man is given dominion. Now, I'm in Aramaic, so I, it's not the exact, you know, it's not like a cognate or something. But the Son of Man is given dominion. And what did God say to Adam and Eve? Fill the planet, rule and subdue, and the word Subdue is the same word, but Hebrew, it's the equivalent, Hebrew equivalent of dominion. In other words, this son of man is being given what Adam and Eve were given, the responsibility to rule over all creation as God's steward. The son of man, which is another name for the son of Adam, those are interchangeable phrases, in fact, they're the same words receives what was once given to the first Adam. In other words, God's original plan is on track. And he is going to, through the Son of Man, he is going to bring us to a place where there are a people who can fill a planet and rule it for God forever. The beast empires run their course, culminating in the supremacy of the proud little horn. So you have these four beasts, and the last beast, there's this proud little horn that emerges. We'll talk some more about him. Ooh, won't be till January because we're doing Christmas stuff. The other beasts are each given some additional shelf life, but it's diminished. And a heavenly court is convened. So, so far in Daniel 7, we've seen these four beasts, we've seen the proud little horn, and then we turn to heaven Where a court is convened, the little horn is judged and cast into the fire, and the end of the empire of beasts occurs when the Son of Man experiences verse 14. Daniel is not seeing what is happening in that moment, but something that is happening yet future. In fact, it's still future for us. Here are these kingdoms of beasts and the proud little horn And there comes a point that is still future when the court is convened in heaven. Now, Jesus is there now. He's at the right hand of the Father. But the Father says, take it. Now, by the way, the scene that is this is also captured in Revelation 5 and 6. We're going to close the service singing something that comes from that incident in which Jesus is demonstrated as the only one qualified, he's the only one worthy to bring history to its conclusion and establish what Adam and Eve failed to do. And it says, and to him was given dominion, glory, and a kingdom that all the peoples, nations, and men of every language might serve him. This is an everlasting and earthly dominion that replaces the beast empires in the future. Jim you haven't talked very directly about Jesus being the son of man great question let's talk about that there are many places in the New Testament in fact it's I think the most popular or the most often used title that Jesus uses for himself which is son of man the same phrase is found in this passage now, for example, here's John nine thirty-five. Jesus heard that they had put him out, referring to someone who'd been put out of the, the good list and been put on the naughty list. Jesus heard that they had put him out, and finding him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? Do you believe in the guy identified in Daniel seven thirteen? Yeah, but isn't son of man a a pretty general self-designation i mean aren't we all sons of adam and daughters of eve well yeah but i want to show you that jesus actually uses son of man to refer to daniel 7 13 and 14 and say i am that guy i am the one who's going to do this I am going to get us back to the place where we are a planet filled with the people who love, serve, follow the Lord on into eternity. So let me show you uh, a few striking examples of passages where Jesus actually is quoting Daniel and saying, I am that person. Listen to this one. This one comes from Matthew. This is Jesus on the night in which he is betrayed. So this is probably happening on Friday, but early Friday morning. Jesus kept silent. He's before the religious leaders. And the high priest said to him, I adjure you by the living God that you tell us whether you are the Christ. That's the term for Messiah, the son of God. In other words, come out with it. Are you the Messiah? Are you God's son? And Jesus said to him, you've said it yourself. You've already said it. Nevertheless, I tell you, hereafter you will see the son of man sitting at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. That's a reference to Daniel 7. Then the high priest tore his robes and said, he's blasphemed. What further need do we have of witnesses? Behold, you've now heard the blasphemy. What do you think? They answered, he deserves death. Here's Jesus in front of the high priest and in essence to his question, are you the Messiah, God's son? He says, yup. And furthermore, you need to be aware that the next time you see me, I will be Daniel 7, 13, the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven. That's what you're going to see. I don't know how it works out exactly that they are going to see that, but Jesus said you're going to see it. I find this passage fascinating. Jesus actually thinks that being able to see this event that is a future event is valuable to spiritual health for example this is matthew 16 28 and here he's using the same title the the title that is used in daniel 7 he says truly i say to you there are some of those who are standing here who will not taste death until they see the son of man coming in his kingdom he said this to to his disciples but he actually took three of them they went up on a mountain and Uh, James and John and Peter actually saw Jesus as he will appear someday when he returns. They got a glimpse of that. And what does Jesus call himself? The son of man. He uses this title. He's using the Daniel 7 passage. Uh, Listen to this passage. This is Jesus talking about the future. This is our future. But in those days after that tribulation, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light and the stars will be falling from heaven and the powers that are in the heavens will be shaken. Then they will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great glory and power. What's described in Daniel 7 is heavenly and Jesus receives the kingdom and then he's coming When Stephen was martyred, uh, he actually had a vision as he was being martyred. Listen to this. But being full of the Holy Spirit, he gazed intently into heaven and saw the glory of God. And Jesus standing at the right hand of God, and he said, Behold, I see the heavens opened up, and the Son of Man, that's the Daniel title, standing at the right hand of God, but they cried out with a loud voice and covered their ears and rushed at him with one impulse. Here's Stephen about to be crucified. And he says, look, I'm seeing Jesus ready to come, the son of man. Get ready to, uh, I'm going to tell you something that, uh, oh, I wish I could tell you more, but uh, we're limited on our time. So I'll, I'll say this uh, shortly. There is an overcomer protocol in the book of Revelation. It consists of a number of commands that basically say, this is what you need to do. If you are a saint living during these days, these are the things you need to do. I'm going to show you one of them. Uh, although I've so far I've identified uh, over 60 of these specific commands that are directed to you and me. If you don't know them, you're not going to do well. If you know him you will do well when this hits listen to this one this is the word behold which is an imperative in other words he's actually saying see this this is from Revelation 1 7 he is coming with the clouds that's a quote of Daniel <laughs> he is coming with the clouds see this fix it in your mind's eye And every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, and all the tribes of the earth will mourn over him. So it is to be. Amen. There are 10 of these 60, there are 10 behold commands in Revelation. 10 times he says, you need to see this. Fix this in your mind's eye. This is the first one, and it is based on Daniel. Basically what he's saying is your ability to prevail is linked to your ability to actually visualize Daniel 7, 13, and 14. Now I've done this uh, by closing my eyes and trying to picture the return of Jesus. But so far the information you have is you know, kind of limited. Okay, Jesus is coming, every eye is going to see him. How does that work? I don't know. He's coming on the clouds. But John has actually done something marvelous for us. He says, behold, see this, fix it in your mind. He is coming with the clouds. And I ask, what does that look like? All right, what I want you to do, now if this is a little weird for you, you don't need to do this, but I would like to invite you to close your eyes and try and picture the return of Jesus, and then I'm going to read you something, okay? Okay. And I want you to just put in your mind's eye what you hear me as I read. And I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. And he who sat on it is called faithful and true. And in righteousness he judges and wages war. His eyes are a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems. And he has a name written on him which no one knows except himself. He is clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies, which are in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword, so that with it he may strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. And he treads the winepress of the fierce wrath of God, the Almighty And on his robe and on his thigh, he has a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. You can open your eyes. That's what we are to behold. It is critical to our spiritual health for us to turn off the TV, close the cell phone, put it in a Faraday bag if you need to, uh, but turn off the stuff. And then just look and see, he is coming. John is saying, see Daniel 7, 13 and 14, and the event that flows from that. Defiance against God will be judged. That's what you're seeing. The persecuted are going to be vindicated. That's what you're going to see. According to 2 Timothy 4, 8, he says, In the future there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will reward to me on that day, and get this, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. When you look at that and you see the coming of Jesus, that's your reminder. I'm going to receive a crown of righteousness. I am going to be done with this thing called sin. When Jesus prayed, he said, pray for these things, for Father's name to be honored, his will to be done, his kingdom to be experienced on earth as it is in heaven. In that moment that we are beholding, that's when the answer to that prayer comes because his name will be honored and his will will be done and his kingdom will be experienced here on earth as it is in heaven. According to Ephesians 1.5, it says, he predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself behold that moment because in that moment that is when Jesus is going to say here's Father and Father is going to say you belong to me you are my child in 1 John 3 2 it says we know that when he appears we will be like him because we will see him just as he is we're going to see him and we're going to be like him. So behold that. See that? The world is nuts. But Jesus is coming. And when he does, he will put things to right. I will be adopted, you will be adopted as a child of the king and I will look like Jesus and so will you. See that? What in the world is making you frustrated right now or discouraged or overwhelmed or depressed? Behold Jesus coming on the clouds. Visualize that moment when your heart is going to shout, living all in for Jesus is worth it. Look past every trial and see Jesus coming. For some... Perhaps most in this room. Jesus' return will be the answer to our deepest longing. I mean, I can't wait for that moment. But according to Revelation, there are going to be some who mourn when they see him. Uh, According to Revelation also, this is another, I think this is chapter 8, there will be some who will hide. They'll try and hide themselves from the presence of the Lamb. Well, you will be sad when Jesus comes. You will try and hide if you've not been living for him. But your story doesn't have to end there. There may be some in this room who are saying, man, if if Jesus actually came back, in light of how I have been living, I would want to hide under a rock. And according to Revelation, that's exactly what will be the case for some. So here is my appeal to you. If the return of Jesus Christ does not fill you with joy, maybe it's because Jesus is not your Savior, but will be your judge. Well, that's not how your story has to end. If you do not know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, that is something that is so easy to fix. You do it through a transaction of the heart. You basically acknowledge, Jesus, I'm a sinner and I deserve eternal separation from you. But you came and allowed Satan to crush your heel by you dying on the cross in my place. I am right now in this moment, I am accepting you as my Savior and the Lord of my life. Would you like to do that right now? You can. It's as simple as praying, which is simply talking to God. So what I'd like to do would be have all of you bow your heads, and I will give an opportunity to anyone who would say, I want to look forward to Jesus' return. I will give you the opportunity to embrace him as Savior right now. If you want Jesus to become your Savior, then you can pray a prayer that is as simple as this. Lord Jesus, I am a sinner and I deserve eternal separation from you. But Jesus died on the cross in my place. And right now in this moment, I am embracing him and accepting him as my Savior. Help me to live for his glory. I can't wait to see Jesus when he returns. In Jesus' name, amen.